1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, a brief history of Roger Clemens as a New York Yankee. I cannot confirm nor deny the fact that I chose this topic solely to play the Susan Waldman clip. No, 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 Susan, not yet. Not yet. We're going to get to you. But I chose this topic in actuality because when you think about Roger Clemens now, it's probably negative. But why is that? He won two World Series. He took them to four pennants. He came back. He was in George's box. He came back. We all loved him. And then it all changed so fast. So today I'm going to get into all of that, both of his stints with the Yankees, a little bit before what happened, before he came to New York and obviously what happened in the intermittent years in Houston. But before we do that, just want to say thank you to everyone who's reached out and said they're enjoying these episodes and also to people who have submitted suggestions. I'm considering them all and I will hopefully be doing these for weeks and weeks, even if baseball, even when baseball comes back, I'll be doing these ongoing. So hopefully I can get to everyone's topic. All right, so let's get into what happened with, with the Rocket. And it all started on February 18th, 1999, which is the day the Yankees acquired Roger Clemens from the Toronto Blue Jays. And it was also the day they were starting spring training for the 99 season. The deal was the Yankees would send David Wells, Graham Lloyd, and Homer Bush to Toronto in exchange for Roger Clemens. Clemens had signed with the Blue Jays after the 96 season, basically in a move of spite. Gotta respect that. Red Sox general manager Dan Duquette felt Clemens was in the twilight of his career. They did offer him a contract, reportedly one of the biggest in franchise history, but Roger Clemens just did not get along with Red Sox management, specifically Duquette. So he wanted to leave, and he wanted to prove he was not done, and he wanted to do it in the AL East. He signed a three-year deal with a fourth-year option with the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, coming off back-to-back World Series championships in the early 90s in 92-93, After the strike and leading into 1997, they were in a a downward spiral. Despite Clemens' dominance, and he was absolutely lights out, back-to-back Cy Young awards, the team finished below 500 both seasons and out of the playoffs. So after the 98 season, Clemens asked for a trade. David Wells was pretty devastated about the trade. He had some issues with both Torrey and Steinbrenner after he signed with the Yankees in '97. One of the most famous, if not the most famous, David Wells moment is when he wore Babe Ruth's hat out to the mound in in a game in June of 97. He had bought this thing at auction and he's figured, hey, it's a Yankee hat. Why don't I just go wear it out to the mound, and get some good Babe Ruth luck? Torrey had words before him. Basically, you know, hey, we're the defending champions. We're not going to make a mockery of some old sports memorabilia. That's not something you do here. So it took a little while for Wells to get on the same page. But it was his lifelong dream. He has said it was his lifelong dream to pitch for the Yankees. And now he finally had an opportunity to do it. And in 1998, everything clicked. He had the perfect game, but he was also arguably the Yankees' best pitcher in 98. Won 18 games, pitched 214 innings, had a 349 ERA, and a 127 ERA. He was as big a reason as any why the Yankees won 114 regular season games, 125 games overall and won the World Series. After the trade, he was pretty good in Toronto, not great. It's kind of funny when you compare the stats over the first two years of of the deal, in 1999-2000, Clemens and Wells. They're more similar than you would think. But Wells wanted to be a Yankee. He didn't want to be in Toronto. He ended up getting traded to Chicago before he ended up signing back with the Yankees for the 2002 season. Clemens, on the other hand, obviously wanted out of Toronto, so he was happy about the trade. He had this to say about his time in Toronto. It worked out for me. It didn't work out for the team. We didn't win, and that's the bottom line. He wanted to win. That's the main reason why he wanted to be traded to the Yankees. The person who was most happy was George Steinbrenner. His quote was, you can equate this with getting a Michael Jordan. Steinbrenner loved Clemens. Think about it. Clemens is the Steinbrenner guy. He tried to sign him after the 96 season. It didn't work out. He ended up going down to his house in Houston to try to sign him. That's a classic Big Stein move I've come to learn. Go visit the guy's house. I bet he didn't even give him a heads up that he was coming. On paper, though, the 98 Yankees' best team ever just got a hell of a lot better by adding Roger Clemens. The next day after the trade was announced, the New York Times called it the Yankees' most significant deal since the purchase of Babe Ruth. That is quite the headline. That is quite the statement. The article was actually written by Buster Olney, and he said, The trade comes with some risk. Wells, 35, was the league's best left-hander last season, winning 18 games and losing four. And he ranks among the finest postseason pitchers ever, with a record of 8-1. and one. Clemens has never played with a championship team, and has one victory in nine career postseason starts. So that was the rub. That was the catch, if you were looking for one at the time, is... What is the downside here? Well, Clemens was seen as a playoff choker, but I did some digging, and and that's really not fair. Yes, he only had one win in nine playoff starts, but his ERA was 3.88. So you can't exactly say it was all Clemens' fault why he didn't win any more games than that. And you cannot deny Wells' postseason track record at the time. He was a playoff superstar. He had eight wins in 10 playoff starts, and his ERA was 2.74. And once again, he was coming off a great season and the team won a championship. So some fans did not love the deal. It was not what you'd expect for acquiring Roger Clemens. A few days after the deal, the Daily News published an article saying that the fan response has been overwhelmingly negative. The article said, Clemens will take some getting used to. Overnight, the team's image has changed from a kind of Sesame Street ensemble to the richest, biggest bullies on the block. Instead of goofball David Wells, whose own jerky Yankee moments were always offset by an endearing Babe Ruth's hat incident or a perfect game, they've got the Rockets' dread glare. This was based on the fact that fans hated Clemens. He was thought of as a jerk. Whereas Wells was the everyman. He was the guy that can pitch a perfect game hungover. He's the guy that just wants to wear Babe Ruth's hat out to the mound. And he was the guy that was their ace on a a championship team. Why rock the boat? I'm trying to put myself in the, in the mind, in the shoes of a fan who was upset about this deal in 1999. The only thing I can think of is, why change up something that's good? And I think what the most recent memory of Roger Clemens at the time for Yankees fans was, a brawl that he initiated on September 11th, 1998, when the Blue Jays were visiting the Bronx.
2: Laday wants one, back and right, and at the wall it's pulled down. By Green.
1: What you're Sean hearing now Green. is the TV call of Ricky Leday hitting a ball to the right field wall. It ended up being a sack fly. Wasn't a home run, just a sack fly. Clemens then plunked Scott Brocious in the middle of the back on the very next pitch.
2: Brocious takes yep. one in the back.
1: It was obviously intentional. Torrey came out arguing because there was no warning issued to Clemens. He got nowhere with the umpires. Then the next inning on Arabu's first pitch... He hit Shannon Stewart, and then that's when bench is cleared.
2: And Arabu, with the first pitch, goes right after Shannon Stewart. And Arabu wants nothing. And you know what? This is Mike Riley's fault. Arabu is furious being held by Stanton. So far, I haven't seen anything real ugly, but there's something developing. Girardi is involved. Look at Stanton lifting up Arabu. Now the bullpen's come out. Shades of Baltimore. Now Clemens is talking to Chad Curtis who was screaming at him after the last pitch. Now Richie Garcia comes in and says enough. He wants him to get back in the dugout. Because he would be the one that somebody would go after on the field. See he's talking to somebody said you want a part of me?" Yeah it's Chris Chambliss. Chambliss came over and said something. And Darrell's over there too. Now Bill Risley. And things get really ugly. And once again, Strawberry, I think, was involved. Not going to back down from anybody.
1: The Yankees were not going to back down from anybody, and everybody was gunning for the 1998 Yankees because they were that good. And Roger Clemens clearly had an issue. Who hits a guy in the middle of the back for a sack fly? Ricky Lede hits a sack fly. Brocious gets plunked like Lede just put one in the upper tank. That's everything we came to love about Clemens when he was a Yankee and everything we hated about Clemens before he was a Yankee. But that does get to the real reason why fans were not thrilled about sending beloved David Wells to Toronto in exchange for Clemens. If the preconceived notions of Clemens were not enough, the fact that he struggled on the mound in his first year definitely did not help. One o two ERA plus in his first full season with the Yankees in 1999. That is a league average pitcher. Roger Clemens... I'll say it again for a third time, coming off back-to-back Cy Young seasons, was now a league average pitcher. Fans actually were a little bit patient with him, although he was dealing with some injuries in May. So if you look at his season, he missed some starts in May. But in a game on July 15th against the Braves, Clemens was booed off the mound for the first time at Yankee Stadium. He gave up six runs in six innings, and the Yankees lost. This is obviously a game that fans are eyeing as a potential World Series matchup. It was the eventual world series matchup and Clemens failed on the big stage in the big moment, something that David Wells always came through in. So that comparison was going on in 1999. And if you look at 99 and 2000, I mentioned earlier that Clemens and Wells had very similar numbers. Overall, Clemens was a better pitcher, but only barely. Clemens threw 392 innings to a 413 ERA, 115 ERA plus for those two seasons whereas Wells threw 461 innings. So that's a big difference. He was much more durable and got out there and pitched more innings. 4.70 ERA, 111 ERA+. Plus. And I keep using ERA+ plus to put it in some context. For anyone that doesn't know, a 100 ERA+ plus is exactly league average. So the higher the better. So a 115 ERA+ plus in this case for Clemens means he was 15% better than the league average pitcher. But the Yankees didn't trade for just a league average pitcher or a little bit better than league average. They wanted a guy to take them to a World Series champion. Before we get to Clemens in the playoffs, though, in 2001, Cy Young Clemens returned. He won the Cy Young Award in 2001. He actually was the first pitcher in Major League history to start a season 20-1. and one. So once he did that, he pretty much secured the award. He ended up 20-3. and three. But he didn't really deserve the Cy Young that season. In fact, he wasn't even the best starting pitcher on the team. Mike Messina had a better ERA, ERA+, whip, higher war, more innings pitched, more strikeouts, and he led the league in FIP. He was just 17-11, and 11, so his record did not look as good as Clemens did. And that's sort of that old-school mentality of voting. A guy who has 20 wins and went 20-3, and three, well, obviously he's the Cy Young. Whereas the guy who's 17-11, and 11, how could he be the Cy Young? He lost 11 times. If the exact same scenario happened today, Mike Messina would have gotten the award over Roger Clemens that year. That was just a little aside to show that really after 1999, the monkey was off Clemens' back, and he started to feel comfortable in New York. So how did he do in October? It was the only reason he wanted to be traded to the Yankees, was to win a World Series. The 99 playoffs started out great. He was lights out in his start against Texas in the ALDS. And then came one of the biggest pitching matchups, ALCS Game 3, At Fenway Park, Pedro Martinez versus Roger Clemens. The Yankees were up 2-0 in the series, and that was the matchup for Game 3. All lights, camera, action focused on that game. Clemens got annihilated. Five runs and six hits in just two innings. The Yankees lost 13-1, and it snapped a 12-game postseason winning streak that they had that started back in 1998. In the seventh inning, the Fenway crowd was chanting, Where is Roger? In the shower. And after the game, Steinbrenner issued a warning to the team. He said, this can happen once, but it cannot happen again. In the World Series, Clemens started Game 4. It was a clinching game, but the Yankees were up 3-0, so not a ton of pressure on him. But he did need to bounce back from that horrific ALCS start, and he did. Seven and two-thirds innings, one earned run against Atlanta. He also got a little revenge for being booed off the mound in July against Atlanta. The Yankees won the World Series, and Clemens was finally a champion. The drama was not over, though. Oh, no, no, no. Playoff Roger the next year. He struggled in his two starts against Oakland, losing both games, allowing 10 runs in 11 innings. Then he became unhittable. In the ALCS, he pitched one of the greatest games anyone has ever seen. It was a complete game shutout, one hitter, fifteen strikeout performance in Seattle, and then in the World Series, you may have heard of this. There was a little bit of an incident involving a broken bat.
2: The crowd, positive and negative, as Mike Piazza walks to the plate for his rematch against Roger Clemens. Now, leading up to the start, you get so emotional. You know, I got so emotional because this is all right. I just wanted the ball. Let's go. Let's get it on. And uh, this is the bat everybody wanted to see. And obviously both Clemens and Piazza know that the world is watching both of them, how they react. Clemens, here's the one-two pitch. Broken bat, foul ball off the right side. And the barrel of the bat came out to Clemens and he picks it up and throws it back. I don't know what
1: Clemens had in mind.
2: The barrel of the bat comes back at Roger Clemens and he fires the bat. Back toward Piazza, who is going down the first baseline.
1: I don't think either of them did anything wrong. It seemed like when I initially first looked at him, it looked like he was trying to slam the bat to the ground. And then when it came in my direction, I mean, obviously he was extremely pumped up. Then I went out and said, "What
0: is your problem?" I kept asking, him, "What is your problem?" So I don't.
1: He didn't say anything.
2: He said, "When I let it go, I never saw Mike. And then all of a sudden, obviously, when the bat comes out of his hands, there he was. And he, and it was scary. And it took Roger about seven or eight or nine minutes to sit down and get himself collected. That is all Roger Clemens there. A moment started by, created by Clemens. Three, three down at the end of a half inning. The Mets nothing. The Yankees coming about.
1: This moment has been dissected so many times, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But I hadn't seen the clip in some years. And what struck me re-watching it was you could read Clemens' lips, and he was saying, I thought it was the ball. And then after everything calmed down a little bit and he was walking off the mound after the inning ended, he tapped on his chest and said, my fault, my fault. Now, I have no clue if Clemens meant to do what he did or or I have no clue what he was doing. I do really believe, though, that when Clemens takes the mound, he's a little bit outside of his mind, meaning what happens, he doesn't really have that much control over other than throwing the baseball where he wants it to go. People said I put blinders on. Uh, and I've walked right by
2: some people some close friends, you know, they'll say something to me on game day, and I don't hear them, I don't see them, and I don't care to see them. tell you the truth. I'll you know basically run you over because um, It's something that I'm trying to zone in to be the best that I can be that day Most guys say well you got to be cool And you got to be laid-back and you got to just do your job, Well, that ain't how I pitch I- I'm out there and, and
1: um you know, if it's my brother up here, I'm gonna not. If I needed to get him off the plate, I'm gonna get him off the plate. It's funny the way he puts it there at the end. If it's if it's my brother up there, I'm gonna knock him off the plate. Well, Piazza certainly was not Clemens' brother. There was a lot of talk about that potential matchup after the incident happened over the summer, in which Clemens hit Piazza in the head with a pitch. He was somehow able to compose himself. Ended up throwing eight innings, two hits, no runs, and a nine strikeout performance. The Yankees won the game, game two of the World Series against the Mets. And that was really Clemens in a nutshell. Did something jerky, went out there, shut the other team down. He was now the Yankees jerk, and we all loved him for it. Over this period with the Yankees through 2003, he made 10 more postseason starts and posted a 3.25 ERA. They did not win another championship, but they did make the World Series two more times. And then that's when we thought Roger was going to be done. We thought he was retiring. The 2003 season was thought to be Clemens' last. On the last day of the season, Joe Torre actually made him honorary manager for the day. Everywhere he went in opposing stadiums, he got standing ovations. It wasn't quite to the level of farewell tour that we saw Mariano and Jeter and maybe some other players get. I guess that wasn't really a thing that was done at the time, but it was seen as Clemens last year, even if it was not official. He got ovations, especially at Fenway Park. He got a standing ovation in the regular season and then again in the postseason when they thought that was going to be his last time pitching. And he did retire after the World Series in 2003. There was nothing more for him to achieve. He already got his 300th win and 4,000th strikeout and World Series championships. We know that didn't stick, though. On January 12, 2004, Clemens unretired and signed a one-year deal with Houston. Andy Pettit going to Houston definitely had an impact on this decision. Clemens was great in 2004. Clemens then unretired again for the 2005 season after the Astros offered him salary arbitration and they settled on 18022 dollars for a salary. It was the highest AAV for a pitcher at the time. Houston ended up losing the World Series to the White Sox that year. Clemens retired once again after that season. Then Clemens wanted to pitch in the World Baseball Classic in March 2006. In late May of 06, he was convinced yet again to unretire, signing a prorated $22 dollars contract. The 22s definitely come into play here. Then on May 6, 2007, the 44-year-old Roger Clemens showed up in George's box. Well, they came and got me out of Texas. And uh, I can tell you it's a privilege to be back. I'll be talking to y'all soon.
2: Roger Clemens is in George's box and Roger Clemens is coming back. Oh my good, goodness gracious. Of all the dramatic things of all the dramatic things I've ever seen, Roger Clemens standing right in George Steinbrenner's box announcing he is back. Roger Clemens is a New York
1: gang- Oh, I love it. Poor Susan. She was just expressing what we were all feeling at the time. The Rockets signed a prorated $28 million and $22 contract, which ended up paying him more than $1 million per start. He was only considering the Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros to return to that season, but both Boston and Houston said they'd like to have him join the team in June or July, whereas the Yankees said, we'd like you yesterday. He had special travel privileges, which meant he did not have to travel with the team on the road. And he was criticized for this among other players, particularly David Wells, who was with the Padres at the time. So it all comes back full circle. Wells said that he would never do something like that if if given the choice. When Clemens showed up in George's box, the Yankees were 14 and 15, and they ended up losing that day as well. So they were really struggling at the beginning of that season. But from June 1st on, they were the best team in baseball, going 72 and 39, which is 649 winning percentage. Clemens was just okay in 17 starts, 4.18 ERA, 108 ERA plus, so again, right around league average, but he was just constantly injured, and you could just tell he was not the same pitcher. I mean, he's 44 years old. He ended up being pulled from game three of the ALDS after aggravating a hamstring injury, and that was the end for Clemens. That was, for real, the last time he pitched on a major league mound. Seven months after triumphantly coming back to the Yankees, Clemens was named in the Mitchell Report, and then from December 07 through mid-2008, his name was constantly dragged through the mud. Ex-trainer Brian McNamee discussed how he would inject Clemens and that he even injected his wife Debbie with HGH. Jason Grimsley, who was an ex-teammate of Clemens, in an affidavit said he supplied steroids to McNamee. At the time, McNamee denied this. It was also reported that Clemens had many affairs during his playing career, including a country music singer, Mindy McCready, and John Daly, the golfer's ex-wife. Who knows what of all that is true? Some of it, I think, was proven to be true, but that doesn't change the fact that in the time right after he was officially done with baseball, it was all bad PR for Clemens. In February of 2008, Clemens appeared before the Congressional Committee along with all the other prominent Major League Baseball players were implicated in the Mitchell report, and he denied ever using steroids. In 2010, Clemens was indicted on charges of making false statements to Congress. He actually went to trial in 2011, and the judge declared it a mistrial. And then in 2012, he was found not guilty on all counts of lying to Congress. Just like he would on the mound, Clemens was not going down without a fight. He has still not been voted into the Hall of Fame, despite having more than a Hall of Fame resume. Other players like Barry Bonds also have not, so who knows if they're ever going to get in. I think all of the steroid accusations and circus that surrounds those two players, they're sort of the two faces of the PED era. Bonds from an offensive standpoint and Clemens from a pitching standpoint. It might prevent them from ever getting into the Hall of Fame, but... The Yankees have also not included him in any of their ceremonies. And the first one where he was notably absent was the closing ceremonies of the old Yankee Stadium in 2008, where Clemens was not even mentioned. He was not there physically. He he could have and should have been. He was a retired player at the time. The Yankees didn't include him, despite including other players. Pettit was on the team, Jason Giambi, Chuck Knobloch. I mean, the other guys who have steroid implications at the time had steroid implications were, uh, were included in that ceremony. As a little bit of a side note, Joe Torre, who was out managing the Dodgers, was also not even mentioned in the ceremony. But the real question is, why did the Yankees ostracize Clemens starting in 2008 when we've seen them embrace other players like Andy Pettit and Alex Rodriguez? I don't think it's because he retired and unretired a bunch of times. I don't think that it was because he was mediocre when he came back demanding such a big salary and all these special privileges in 2007. I think it's because, in their eyes, he went back to being a jerk. He fought the steroid allegations instead of taking it on the chin like other players. He did not sit down, take accountability, and apologize like Andy Pettit did. And I think that's a big reason. It's just that simple admission of guilt that did not happen from Clemens, I think has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't know. It shouldn't. In my opinion, it shouldn't. I think Clemens should be invited back to Yankee old timers days. He should be coming back for any 20 anniversary celebrations or anything they do like that. But the simple fact of the matter is he is now seen as the jerk he was thought to be before he came to New York. I think that's wrong. I think we should celebrate him for what he did for the team From 99 to 2003, if you want to ignore 2007, I'm fine with it, although we do get a huge kick out of replaying the Susan Waldman moment, and we will always get a huge kick out of replaying that moment. But since then, it's really been out of the public eye for Clemens. He's made a few appearances. Uh, He pitched in the Atlantic League in 2012. He's done some charity work where he's appeared and things like that. He has publicly said he doesn't care if he ever gets into the Hall of Fame. I don't think he's ever going to get into the Hall of Fame. Again, goes back to the jerk thing. I think it's wrong. I think we need to put these kind of guys into the Hall of Fame. And I think we need to talk about these guys because it's a huge portion of baseball history. Maybe I'm biased because I love that that section of baseball history. It's when I grew up and became a baseball fan. Other people probably look at it a different way. But the fact of the matter is it happened. So we need to talk about it. People are just ignoring Clemens. And hopefully they stop doing that. And that's it. That's going to do it for this history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did researching it. Continue to tweet at me with your suggestions and talk about the show online on Facebook and social media and and Twitter and all that good stuff. It's just going to help these sorts of things spread and more people will see it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy out there.